You are now listening to Manifest Christianity with Cephas Crosslet. Now, here is your host, Cephas Crosslet. Hey, what's up, guys and girls? I'm pretty sure there's a few that are listening, but I have no idea. You know why? Because ain't nobody emailing me. No one's messaging me. But that's okay. I understand people can be shy. People don't want to connect sometimes, and they just enjoy being entertained. Let me entertain you. Eh? Hey, you, you're listening to Manifest Christianity with Cephas Crosslet. And today, we're going to continue on. Last episode, I don't know if you were able to get it, but I feel that is a huge, a huge pivot point when it comes to this approach that I am putting out here, the manifest Christianity approach. is a huge kind of mark, like a milestone, I feel, into this new journey that if you so happen to accept the invitation that you're taking with me. Before we go on, uh, let me see if it's cross it. I have another show. It's called Memoirs of a Christian Minister with Cephas Crosslet. That's a little different than this show. I talk more about my memories, my experiences. Um, I, I talk, I try, I try to I try to let go of all of the stuff that I don't talk about with people, like secrets, secrets. Also, if you're listening to this show, if you're listening to this episode specifically, and it's your first time listening, or maybe it's your first few times, I just want to recommend, you don't have to. I feel I review enough to kind of get a summation, but if you want to get deeper into what I'm talking about or really get it, really understand the kind of trajectory and the background thoughts of what I'm talking about, please listen to every single episode. And I'm not telling you to do that so that I can get all the listens and I can feel good about myself. No, it's for you. This this show, this podcast is specifically for specific people. And that's why it's, you know, it's very niche, right? And if you read the description, if you have searched and you found my podcast, it's for that. And so let's go through this again as usual. And I'm sorry, you got to keep hearing this. I got to catch people up. But I promise today we will continue on a tad bit more about the bomb that I dropped last week. And that bomb, that pivot point that I'm talking about, once again is that if you are the type, and I'm going to try to speed through this, okay? Just for the sake of everyone who's been listening. If you are the type, do not understand the church that you're at, the faith group that you're in. And what I mean by understand is deep, deep down inside, when you're honest with yourself, you basically just enjoy the community aspect you enjoy the relationship okay um the scriptures spiritual things prayer and stuff that means something to you 
But uh, there is always a hint in the in those activities and those types of things. There's always a hint of like what the f or what exactly is going. There's confusion. You don't you really don't get it, and you don't know why you're doing it as much as people have explained it to you. Okay, and this is just one example of many. But if you fall in this area, sort of, even like you're confused still, but you like going to church or you like that faith group, and you just can't take it anymore, right? What you must do is separate from that and not in a negative way, not in a way where you're just attacking constantly. Guess what? When you do move away from it, you will have that tendency to attack, to be bitter, to, you know, be like, oh, you taught me the wrong thing. But no, don't. In the Ultimately, in the end, it was you. Okay, you're the one who fell for it. You were the naive. You were immature. You did not have the right head on your shoulders. You, do, you were not holistically thinking of your life. In a holistic way, I mean, I mean, like you know, what what is coming at you, and so fi- you you finally come to this point where you just, okay, just be honest with yourself, let go of that, slowly move away from those people as well because they are aligned with another kind of life, and unless you are able to stay friends and you know be close knit in a circle with them, you know, hey, you should you know whatever you know, do your best. It's you. You're an adult. But once you separate, you're on your own. No more support group. No more prayer team. No more this and that. No more people that you see every Sunday or every weekend or even talk to. But you're on your own. And it's freedom. There's a lot of liberation in that. But it's also very scary. And so you're out there. What must you do? The first step in the book of Manifest Christianity, by the way, that if you didn't know, because I talk about this in the first few episodes, Manifest Christianity is actually a book that I have been writing. It's just I have never been able to publish it. And so I just, I'm kind of making it into a podcast. And maybe eventually it might form into a book again. But that's not the target yet. But this book, after you pass this introduction that I always keep reviewing every every episode the major points start with absorb and what i mean by absorb is basically look you're not necessarily throwing away your faith right listen listen to this unless you are whatever this isn't this isn't necessary for you you can keep listening for your own entertainment i love it but if you're not that, right? Maybe you are entertained by this, but also you are benefiting. You are being enriched, right? So let's say that, right? Let's say you have no support group anymore. You're literally on your own. And you're going to churches, right? In this process, I, I, I really recommend you go to different churches, go to different meetings, go to different groups. Participate. You know, don't regret that you never did that. So just participate it's not going to hurt you it's not going to take too much time just do it genuinely and see if it works for you and if it doesn't move on or if you want to check it out some more you know check it out some more but this is the process but within all that you must absorb and what that means is it's a lot of different things but first of all it's taking in all of the things that you feel and that is a part of your faith. 
and specifically for us is Christianity, okay? For your, your Christian faith, absorb, take it in, which means 100% read your Bible. And please do not take this kind of uh, recommendation slash almost a, it's actually mandatory, I feel. But don't take this mandate, mandatory thing, as a, as a kind of a spiritual, I'm preaching at you, you better read your Bible thing, please. That is the last thing I want to do. The last, and I don't even want to do it. I don't want to tell people, read your Bible because, oh, it, 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 it's, it's good for you. It, it, that's not the angle I'm coming at. Please do not take that angle. What else am I not trying to say with this? What else am I not trying to say? I'm not, when I tell you, you must read your Bible. Yeah, I sound like one of those pastors who are very passionate about that because I feel your only frame of thought for when someone says that and says it in this tone and and excitingly as I do is your only thing that you understand, the only thing you're aware of is that kind. So when someone, someone, anyone really says, you need to read your Bible because it's important, because that's your life. When you hear someone say that, you might automatically come to think, oh, this person is talking about my spiritual life. This person is talking about my walk with God, quote unquote, walk with God, quote unquote, spiritual life, quote unquote, um, um, I need, I need to be in the word, right? I need to get the word, the pure word. You know, all these taglines, all these phrases that you hear all so well, right? In churches, right? You wonder why they all sound the same, right? I'm not talking about that. So please do not take that. When I say that, don't please do not take it as that. And if you do, that's on you now. Because I'm literally telling you I'm not talking about the same way that pastors in churches talk about when they're preaching to you. When you listen to a sermon, they say, you need to read your Bible. It's your daily bread. I ain't talking about that, okay? I am not talking about it in spiritual terms. But it can be very beneficial for your spirit, okay? That is a result. That is 100%, I feel, guarantee. Rather than being so focused that you need to read the Bible because you need to connect with God or you need to be in the devotional calendar or you need to make sure you need to read the whole Bible by this and that, you you know, those types of things. Instead of that, okay, and all that other stuff that goes with that kind of thought process and whatever, instead of all that, to... Read the Bible for your own sake. Now you might be like, oh, that's, isn't that kind of similar to what you're... Listen, you can take it as that, but I'm telling you, no. I am not talking about it in those terms. I've, I've done that. I've told people to do that many years. I'm talking about you as a mature person, okay? I'm not going to say adult because I, I feel even teenagers or even younger people can listen to this and you can also manifest Christianity in your life. But hold up, on hold up, okay? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't read your Bible in that sense. 
personally, I'm not sure what to think about that. Uh, I don't. Let me clarify. I'm not sure what to think about that way that a lot of churches promote reading the Bible for this, this, and that reason. You know, those reasons spiritually. Uh, you kind of like you're in a program. You need to make sure you're disciplining yourself. That type of reason. I I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure having that in your life is not a bad thing. Okay. But what I'm more talking about is that you are a mature person. So you're not reading the Bible for, oh, I think I'm going to get like superpowers or I'm going to be, you know, better, you know, oh, if I read the Bible, my head's going to be on my shoulders more straight and I'm going to be more, more, um, more balanced. No, 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 no. Not like that. It's not like that. You read the Bible because if you, if you claim to be someone of a, a Christian, right? You follow Jesus for whatever reason, right? I told you, I don't know. I still don't know why I keep doing this. It's something I grew up with, something I just have a passion. I just love the Bible. It doesn't matter why, okay? Let's just get that out of your head because it really doesn't matter in the end. What were you, were you going to keep on breaking down the reasons why you're a Christian for the rest of your life? Just you're a Christian. You want to be a Christian? You're a Christian. Now, People get, people get really bothered by that when I say that stuff. And like, listen, I'm not God, okay? When I say, oh, you want you say you're a Christian? Okay, go, right. There you, I'm not saying, oh, let me like, oh, I ordain you as Christian. No, I'm saying you're Christian just as much as anyone else can say, oh, you're Christian and you're, really, okay? Now, how do you do that? Don't you have to follow a few bullet points in this? Well, this is going to be a rabbit trail, but here we go. Look, listen, do you need to follow a bunch of bullet points to be a Christian? How do you prove yourself to be a Christian? Hmm? Hmm. You could tell people. Here's a scenario. Let's say it's a pastor of a church and a church group. And you're new. You come into church. You're a non-believer, but you joined a church. What are, the, what are the steps you take to get involved in the church, to get plugged in, and to become a member of that church? If you go into the church as a non-believer, ooh, this is very interesting, right? Well, you know, you go there a few weeks, you listen to the words, and you're, you get convinced. That, oh, you know, maybe I do need Jesus in my life. Um, yeah, I, the sermons are great. This community is great. They pray. Prayer works, I guess. Um, yeah, sure. I want to do it. So then you go to membership class, right? Membership class. That's fine. Before you get baptized, right? Baptism, uh, proselytization, right? You are becoming uh, assimilated, sort of. You are coming into the fold. You are being brought into the family as one of us, right? One of the family. Um, in the membership class, you go through doctrine, you go through theology, basic theology, really. Oh, you need to believe in God. Okay. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe in the virgin birth. You need to believe that God created the earth. You, you know, you need to believe that Jesus Christ came to the earth. You need to believe in historical Jesus. Or, I don't know. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe that he died for our sins. You need to believe he did miracles that he, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. Listen. You need to believe, okay? 
all these things. There's a bullet point thing. But then it's not necessarily enough to believe, right? You need to prove that you believe. And how do you do that? You kind of genuinely tell people. So it's a verbal thing at that point. So it's, you know, at some churches, you know, you do a test, you fill out a paper, right? I'm like, okay, sure. No, but in other churches, it's a verbal thing. So literally anyone can get away with this in the first place, all right? Like seriously, if it's a verbal test and it's not necessarily, you know, there's, you can say a right or wrong answer. It's literally what you say It's the honor system. A lot of people, they're like, you know, they, at, at, in those moments, there's a lot of kind of trust being kind of thrown into the wind. What wouldn't you say? But after a few classes, guarantee there will be people in the church. They'll be asking those people who know you, closest to you, even if you don't hang out much, if you know each other. You know, you go, you belong to a same, you know, small group together, you know, whatever. You sit next to each other, you know, during services. They'll ask them and they'll be like, hey, have you, do you notice things in their life that are changed? You know, these things, right? Witnesses, right? Witness, um, whatever, you know, they tell them. But in the end, it's more of, can you profess, do you profess that you believe all these things? And when they say, if they do, they're in, right? They're in. Says who? Well, because they said all these things, right? Oh, the pastor observed them? Did they really? The people who sit next to them in church and go to prayer group meetings and whatever, small group meetings or whatever, they sit next to them during, uh, you know, mealtime at that church because they told them, oh, they they are of good care. I don't know. You went through a membership class and now you're going to get baptized. So you get baptized. And in the moment of baptism, right, you're, you're in front of people, whether you're on the beach, you're in a swimming pool, a little bathtub, you know, anything small, you're in front of a whole church because there's a ba- baptismal in the, tr- in the front. You're in front of everyone and you speak into the mic and you basically tell your testimony, your story, how you got to where you are and why you believe. And you say, I believe these things. Yeah. Then everyone is saying, oh, yeah, that person does believe. Oh, they dunk themselves awesome this person really is a believer so it's about what you say because when you say it it's oh they can't hardly be a fraud because they must have a conscience so when they say these things they have to be telling the truth right it's an awful lot of kind of blind trust you put on people to bring them into the fold but but that's what i'm saying it's an awful lot of blind trust that we put, we give a lot of people because they just say the things we want them to say. That when they do the things, when we observe them, oh, they're doing all the right things. They're saying all the right things. They're coming out to all the meetings. They did all the things right. And so when they call themselves a Christian, they have all the confidence because, oh, all these people saw me do these things. They say that I'm doing these things. They affirm that I'm doing, I must do this because I proved myself. How did you prove yourself? You just jumped through a few hoops. Really? That's exactly what you did. Hey, I'm sorry if I'm just dwindling it down, but is that not what you just did? They said this hoop, this hoop, this hoop, this hoop, this hoop. And you jump through all those hoops and there you go. You become a member. You become a Christian. So I don't think I'm too far off when I say that when people call themselves Christian, 
Sure. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? That is very relative and subjective. It's like, so who's going to be Christian? The, the, the one that had the opportunity to, to go to that church and everyone acknowledge it? Or, or the person who literally believes that they're a Christian? Oh, you can't look into the head and you can't trust them. What they say, when they say they're a Christian, you don't trust them. But you trust this other person because they, they did things to prove. Okay? And they said things and they said, yeah, I say these things and I'm a Christian. Well, what's the difference? Like... Oh, the biggest difference is this one person didn't prove themselves in the way that these everyone else wants them to prove themselves. They didn't go to a class, right? They didn't profess bullet point things in front of people that have quote unquote power to, you know, justify you as saved or not saved, forgiven or not forgiven, Christian or not Christian, right? You see how blurry and how kind of murky it all gets when you actually talk about it. And some of you might be like, no, it doesn't get blurry at all. I don't think it's right. Look, if it comes down to just, oh, you're a Christian because of what you say and what you, what you profess, anyone can profess that. If a random person comes and say, I am a Christian, right? Generally, I feel most people will believe that person because of what they say. There's a lot of people who won't because of they're not doing the right things. Oh, they're not acting. They didn't, I don't know who they are. They didn't go to class. They didn't get baptized, blah, 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 this and that. So what, what is it, right? What is it? So, gosh, I told you it was a rabbit trail. That was a crazy rabbit. But if you say you're a Christian, okay, you're a Christian. You got to read the Bible. You can claim to be Christian and still not know everything. Do you like that statement? Do you believe in that statement? Because I feel that that person being baptized after going to membership class, he that he or she can be Christian and not know everything. Hmm? Am I right or am I wrong? A person who's been going to church for like five years and they finally get baptized, they go through membership class, they've been through the prayer group meetings, they do the small group, they're plugged in. And that that person can be Christian, but they can't, they probably won't know everything. What is the difference between that kind of Christian and a Christian who doesn't necessarily do all the bullet points, but they are Christian. They say they're Christian. Uh, who's going to say they're not Christian? You're going to observe their life. Oh yeah, they're doing things. Oh, a Christian wouldn't do those things. Really? Come on now. Come on now. Humans, right? Humans would probably do most things, okay? So it's not like, oh, a Christian wouldn't. Come on now. You're going to judge people on whether they're Christian or not because of the things that they do, whether they do the right things or wrong things. You, you Do you know how many pastors, Christians, self-proclaimed and went through this churches, people who are super plugged into churches, do they, come on now. Because they don't, you observe them and they're not doing Christian things. That doesn't even belong there because you couldn't say the same thing for the people in their own church. So that doesn't belong there. That is not part of the argument. Okay. So if we cannot judge this person, if they're a Christian or not, because of observing their actions and what they do, because yeah, I guess, you know, yeah, they're human. And even Christians don't do things that they ha- they're do-, they do things that they shouldn't do. Right. So observable practices and observable actions, we, we got to say, yeah, that clearly cannot be the base 
of the argument saying that this person's Christian or not, right? Okay. Then is it what they say? <laughs> really? We're really like breaking this down, right? What do those people at church believe when they say the things they, they, that they believe? When they say they love people in their life, yet they still, you know, they don't treat everyone like they love them, right? So is what they say, does that hold more ground because they've been through class, because they've been observed, because they got baptized in front of people? So even if they mess up, it's okay because, you know, I don't think so. So I think that holds just as much as water as some random person saying that they're Christian. Do you understand that? I hope that makes sense. That was an interesting rabbit trail. I am, I'm very sorry. Let's continue on. What was I talking about? Oh my gosh. We were talking about absorbing the Bible. And so you read the Bible because you claim you're Christian, right? I went through this already. <clears throat> so whether you really are or not, it doesn't matter. That, that whether you really are or not, that whole, just that, right, the phrase right there, whether you are or not, it doesn't even belong here, right? You believe you're a Christian, so you, you need to do the things, right, that belong to that identity that you say you are. So that means you need to know the Bible because being Christian involves the Bible. Read the Bible. So do you see this? This is a different kind of angle. This is a different kind of approach not reading the Bible for any other reasons other than yourself. You claim to be Christian, okay? <clears throat> you need to know what it means to be Christian. This ain't a pass or fail test. This is real life. This is you. Now, you could choose not to read the Bible and just go on the rest of your life say, oh, yeah, I'm Christian. But personally, truthfully and honestly to you yourself, if you're happy with that life, whatever, but I feel as you mature and you become a real person, right? Like what I mean by real person is someone who's like very much in touch with yourself, in tune with yourself. And you're very aware of yourself and your life. You need to get into the Bible. You need to know more about what that means. You need to know more about the Jewish people in the Bible. You, so it's not just studying the Bible, right? Now it's studying the things in the Bible and things of the Bible. How do you just read the Bible and not know what the heck's going on? Yeah, you can listen to pastors all you want, or you could do it yourself and go through the hard things because it's you. <clears throat> I'm not saying don't listen to pastors. I'm saying sometimes you got to do the hard research on your own because you need to be able to do you, not anyone else. But I believe in all this. Your spirit gets enriched so much. So that I feel that's just a secondary result rather than chasing that spiritual benefit, chasing that spiritual <clears throat> equilibrium. And that is the reason why you're reading the Bible. And that is the reason why you're studying this. Rather than that, you seek everything because that's your life. And that's very important to you as a person and your identity. The secondary result is all this stuff that pastors talk about. But I feel that when you go, when you focus on the Bible and you read and you're living this life in the way that the other pastors and preachers talk about, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're living out the fluff of it all. Like all the good stuff. And that's all, you're, you're chasing that dream such as if that's an idol, right? 
I know I'm flipping the script on that, right? It, it really is. Like if you think about it, you're chasing, you're, you're living your life in a certain way, chasing these spiritual ideals because you feel that'll benefit your life better for, for some weird reason. And yeah, it does benefit you when you do that, but you chase that thing. You chase it as it's a thing. That's much different than chasing it because it's about you and your personal life. And then as you do that, all of these other things come with it. It really does. It really does. It's one of those things. It's just amazing. And I feel when you chase, what do you mean by chase? When you pursue, right? It's like, oh, I want to pursue God. When you pursue the divine through this absorption phase of my approach, when you're, when you're approached, when you are, when your trajectory is toward, right, that Christ-likeness that you so want in your life, but you're not sure what, when you're chasing that, and that's your trajectory, it's very easy to <clears throat> blur the lines of that being your personal responsibility as a human being to yourself and the benefits of all that, like the physical, the spiritual, you know, all the benefits of all that. And I feel when you are pursuing it for the benefits, right, it does become like this sort of idolatry type of thing because it's no longer about really understanding, but it's more all about the bells and whistles. Does that make sense? It's not that true love of God that, that, that you're necessarily trying to grasp. It's more of you want that love of God, right? And isn't it interesting that that is a type of romantic type of language that a lot of churches use? Like, oh, you, you know, or not, I don't, I don't think they necessarily use that kind of language, but the, it's the kind of culture they promote. Like, oh, I want, you know, it's like I desire the love of God. I need the blessings of God, right? Do, do you see what I'm saying? But that's not necessarily seeking the true love of God. Like seeking it, right? Trying to grasp it, understand it. It's more of I want it. I want to experience it, right? It's all that, you know, you see the difference, right? Do you see how there's a difference, right? Already from a manifest Christianity kind of approach versus kind of everything else that perhaps you've, you have been exposed to. It's just kind of switching that mind frame. Like the, just just the whole... Your mindset is no longer, it's like, that's why I'm saying like, there's a pivot point that it ends at what I was talking about last week. But before, you know, this absorb is a, one of the biggest points in this process because this absorption, it has to be taken in seriously and to approach Christianity in this new way rather than in this kind of old just immature way it's so immature to always be like oh, i want that i want that i want that. it's like it's like you're a kid yeah oh i want to be childlike so it's like oh you want to legitimize being a little immature person like you don't want to be a grown-up adult 
You don't want to be responsible over your your personal individual self and you kind of want to just throw it all out there into the wind, into kind of like nothingness. You want to blame God for the stuff that, that's not right in your life. You want to blame God for you not being able to achieve certain spiritual milestones or receive blessings. or the, You know, not necessarily blaming God, but always having God around it, right? Always having God, the reason of, oh, this. Rather than doing that, just take yourself seriously. You call yourself a Christian, great. Well, just be responsible. Be mature. Read the Bible so that you could understand that. And don't read the Bible so you can check it off because, oh yeah, I'm going to get that gift. I read the Bible. I read the whole Bible in a year. Then I'm going to get a gift. <laughs> God promised me a PS whatever. I'm going to get a new game system. No, no, that's immature. All these churches that want you to do that. That's why you should read the Bible. That's, that's so, I feel is so opposite of what should be done. Oh, and they try to hide it too. They they try to shroud it very well. It's like, oh, you know, they, they, it sounds exactly what I say. Like, oh, you need to read the Bible because it benefits you, you know? But then they go to tagline like, you know, like how else are you going to be a witness to other people? Oh, what? So I'm supposed to learn the Bible so I can capture other people and make sure they believe it? You see that agenda? I'm not talking about that. Oh, what about the mission? Isn't the church about the mission? So why not act like that? Well. We're living in a time where it's different. The mission of a church is definitely constrained to time and place, right? Now, we are not constrained to that. So a mission of the church has to change. You think missionaries are really going to be needed after a few, after a few, like, what uh, what you call it? Centuries? You do know that we can communicate online and in a, in a few years, you know, just about every country is going to have that access. What does it mean to go to the rest of the, all the world at that point? Hmm? If you could just literally just dial into them, right? Just video, video chat with them. Or do a whole revival service online. Oh yeah, missionaries. Yeah, seriously. All the human touch. Yeah, sure, sure. But you've got to admit it's it's not the same. It's not the same. The mission of the church is not the same. The intent can be the same, but it's not the same when you do that. So when you say, oh, you need to be read the Bible, so you need to be prepared so that when someone comes next to your life, you know how to speak the Bible. No, once again, that's kind of like this agenda thing. That's kind of like this, oh, you're chasing the benefits of it. And what I'm saying is, stop that. Chase God. Chase the, the word of God. Chase Christ's likeness for your own sake. For your own your own spirit like it's life or death and it's very serious in that sense you are responsible for your own life and how much more important is it to, that you get to understand that more and how that is centered around this belief in a divine or whatever in christ well work on it you have a problem with metaphysics like i like like i do meta, metaphysics like i do well work on it don't just sit around, oh, boo-hoo, I can't fix it. No, th there has to be a way. So you need to pick it up, pick up your Bible, read it with intention. Not the intention like I'm talking, like, not like that, please. Not like church people stuff. Intention for you to truly seek it. And what I mean by that, you're going to be stuck on a passage or maybe a verse for a long time because that it just takes you that long to research it. But that's the power, though, in your own hands.
to absorb the things of your faith in that kind of manner. And when you do absorb, you absorb in humility, right? Let me just go through these little bullet points like last time. Or these are the sub points of absorb. Humility means you you receive the things of God and of your faith in a very open kind of stance rather than looking down like, oh, I already know all this. I've been through this before. Rather than that in humility, right? You must also uh, grow, which means you must do things that are hard, things that challenge your faith and challenge you deeply. You must act on them. I'm not saying do dangerous things, but things that spiritually you must make a few decisions. That's growing. There's also one of the most important things is listening. And listening is listening in different ways. Not just the one way that you were taught. But they're having the freedom to listen. Freeing things from your life so you can focus and listen. That means to be sensitive and try, trying to be sensitive, trying to open yourself to the things of God. And lastly, in this absorb, is to wait. Seems simple, but it's actually one of the secret sauces of this approach is to wait. And as long as you have waited in your other churches and your other groups to, to wait for it to click, like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm, I just love this community, but I don't get this stuff. But maybe if I keep doing this, it'll click. As much as you waited for that and it never worked out, you must try it in this way too. But it's different because now you're on your own. And you're the captain of it. So you decide how far you go and how far you want. And, and that all depends on you and being honest with yourself because it's not you're not affecting other people at this point. You're affecting yourself and every move and decision you make is on you. Does that make sense? So waiting is okay because it's not about, oh, I want to get there finally. You're already liberated if you have gone this far. You're already, you should be excited being able to visit different churches and, and try different approaches out and just and to literally grow in this, sec, in this section of your life. So waiting is great. And so I kind of took over this, this whole podcast talking about this, but I think this is a great one too. It's, it's, it's a lot of stuff I talked about in that rabbit trail, really. But wait. Last week, I feel that was a big bomb on a few people the whole talk about metaphysics. I think this talk that we just had, this little rabbit trail rant that I did about being Christian or not, I think that's going to be something too that kind of rocks some people's worlds. Because really, it, it doesn't make sense that we decide who's Christian or not because on A, B, or C. Now, who are we? We're not God. And so... If someone says they're Christian, all right. Well, prove it to yourself. You don't have to prove it to me. Because if you say so, okay, whatever. Because it really doesn't matter, right? You see that in the end? If someone says, I'm Christian, and I say, oh, yeah, sure, cool. What actually happened? Nothing bad happened. No one got hurt, right? But it's up to that person. 
that that person must be honest with themselves in their own way. And if they're a dishonest person to themselves, hey, that's on them. They claim to be a Christian. If they're not a Christian, but yet I accept them as a Christian, what, what harm is that? Oh, the slippery, the slippery slope argument. Oh, then everyone's going to come in and be a Christian. Well, do you think that everyone in church is really a Christian in the first place? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing that everyone comes out to church thinking that they're Christian and they suddenly see their lives changing somehow? Hmm. I don't know. Something about, you know, exclusivism and holding people back compared to letting people be exposed to a good spirit of God that is moving things in a positive way. Yeah, I don't know. What's the best choice, right? I don't know. Anyways, that was that was actually a pretty good rabbit trail. If you don't, if if you don't, if I don't say so myself, um, I'm gonna enjoy talking about this one topic in the other podcast. But hey, right now we're gonna take a break. So I will talk to you later, and we're gonna talk about what's going on at the church, and we're gonna just uh, finish up, not finish up. We're gonna continue on our Bible study. All right, all right. Hey, welcome back, and. We had a pretty good little rabbit trail and I feel we didn't move much, but that's okay. Because as you know, as I have said before, I'm trying not to move fast because, hey, look, it's a book and the book will end one day. And when it ends, it's going to be like, okay, how else am I going to continue this podcast? So I think it's okay. I think these little tidbit rabbit trails that become the actual podcast show, they're actually things that I do want to talk about. And so I'm glad it came out like that. And I, I'm glad it came out organically. Let's talk about what's going on at my church. And actually with a lot of churches. So, I mean, there, there really isn't much um, other than there's a new minister. And I'm just, I'm just concerned about him because I know people are looking at him like fresh meat. And what I mean by that is they, they want to pounce on him. They want to they wanna take him on their side so that, you know, down the road, that they'll have a nice ally who will help out, you know, with different activities around the church. And I feel bad for that guy. What I feel really bad for are um, these two pastors at my church. And they are uh, immigrant pastors that that um, got their green card status and what, or whatever. I don't know if they got it, but they got their visa, their work visa. And, you know, their whole family lives out here, yet they're they're not citizens. And this actually happens in way more churches than you you really know of. Okay, here's a breakdown, kind of a lot of Korean churches and a lot of churches that are other cultures. They get immigrant pastors and these pastors need kind of like a sponsor like a hosting right because they work and they want to you know they want a better opportunity so they bring their family or you know they they come here alone and they marry they build a family yet they're still kind of on this status and what i think happens at churches is just so messed up in this because these kinds of pastors get used and abused not like physically abused but kind of physically abused in the sense that they're asked and kind of coerced and not necessarily a violent ways but coerced and kind of like hey you know like what else are you doing kind of way you know like they're talked into or 
almost guilt tripped into doing more work than they should be doing. And these pastors, they feel as if they can't say no when the church asks them to do something. And that's one of the saddest things because if they say no, they get scared. It doesn't matter how long they've been working at a church for, how long they've been working under a pastor for, they always have the fear that if they get let go from the church because of whatever reason, financial reason, whatever reasons, there goes their life here in America. They need to go back home or they need to scramble and find someone else who can help them out with the same situation. So these types of pastors and these churches, they tend to be the most worn out, the most, they get taken advantage of so much and they never get paid what they are really worth. Of course they don't get paid. And that's kind of what's going on. And well, it's not, it's kind of what's always been going on. And I just kind of want to share it, it. It sucks. If you didn't know about this, well, now you do. It's, it's so messed up, isn't it? Like, does that make sense to you? Like, these people come from different countries and they find a job that would actually help them stay in America, but they need to stay in that job. And whoever is the boss who promised them this is always dangling that green card or that sponsorship, that, that working visa, you know, maybe not in a in a maniacal way, but it's very strategic. In order for them to keep, quote unquote, cheap labor, and it, it runs really well, is to kind of have this pressure on them that if this person doesn't do what I ask, well, yeah, they're, they're going to feel as if they, they, they failed their family and them and their family are going to get shipped back to Korea or wherever they come from because, yeah... They need to do what we ask them to or else I just can't. And I've heard, I've heard of stories where it actually happened that way. And these are evil people. And it happens in churches and it's just so evil. It's like, how dare you do that to people who are of good heart, noble character, and they choose to do this kind of job to help people out and you treat them like that. And all the years they served, doesn't mean crap. You just kind of dangle it and you just take it away from them. And there they go. They have to go back. It happens. It happens. And I'm afraid that I see it happening in my church. I can't do anything about it. How can you prove it, right? It's been happening since the 70s. In Korean churches, at least. But I'm pretty sure it's been happening in many, in most churches that have a multi-ethnic scene. And they're seen as one of the many, many gateways for immigrants into normal American life. Whew, gosh. Now that is going, that's what's going on at the church. Man, it got real heavy. Let's go to our Bible study. Once again, it's not a Bible study. It's... I read the Bible chapter and then I kind of talk about what's interesting and what's kind of weird. And I kind of, yeah, it's a long one. So let's go. Mark 14, NRSV version, of course. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival, 
or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than three hundred denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you will always, for you always have the poor with you. And you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. And she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand, before its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray to them, betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his, two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house. The teacher asks, Where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them. And they went and prepared, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came to the twelve. And when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him, one after another, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes, as it is written of him. But woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never drink again. Drink, never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same.
they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Immediately, he was still speak while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him there was a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. So when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid hands on him and arrested him. But one of those who stood near drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. All of them deserted him and fled. A certain young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a, dis at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many gave false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But he was silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you Messiah? Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? 
all of them condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. The guards also took him over and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, You also were with Jesus from the, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the forecourt. Then the cock crowed. And the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, This, this man is one of them. But again he denied it. Then after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you're talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Ooh, this is getting juicy. And getting into the, eh, into the moment. The moment we've all been waiting for. Let's see. Um, yeah, this was, we need to know a time and place that this whole thing took place. It's the Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread. They kind of tell you. A lot of rioting going on. It's crazy. Um, let's see. Alabaster jar, right? Yeah, I got a lot of stuff here. Let's see, what else? Um, Judas. Here's another kind of, uh, you know, starting verse 12, that this whole kind of telling the future type of thing going on. I don't know what that's about. It seems kind of weird. It seems kind of, oh, yeah. He he predicted that it's going to be like this, and we went there, and it was just like that. Whoa. I don't know. It, it almost comes off as, oh, he's proving it. He's proving himself by doing this, and it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird, I feel. Um, Got betrayed here. He got, he got snuck up on Jesus got betrayed in this one man judas did him like that and peter denies jesus three times oh goodness jesus goes and prays but the other disciples can't hang oh lord now, i don't have much about this part i don't have much about you know my observations other than kind of just reading what is happening and that is exactly that is happening right yeah i mean this part is, is kind of like, okay, it's kind of like a story part, so you kind of get it. But yeah, I mean, getting close to the end of this book, trying to figure out other things to think about, but I guess it was just a reading today, huh? Just a reading, it's okay. It was funny though. Um, verse 25, this is one of those things when I was in this, when I was all up in the Bible college days, I was like, oh, how do you, how do you, um, you know, counteract people who said, oh, Jesus drank wine and he used 25, verse 25. Oh, well, Jesus also said, I will not, I will never again drink the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. So Jesus, yeah, he drank wine, but he stopped and he said he will never drink it until the new kingdom comes. So there you go. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. But yeah, there you go. Uh, that's all I could take out from that for Bible study time. Hey, listen, thanks so much for listening. We're running out of time. Please email me questions, comments, feedback. Let me know how you're doing in this whole process. If you are doing it, let me know if it's entertaining. If you got any ideas, throw them my way. Ma uh, manifestchristianity at gmail.com. Also, check out my other show, Memoirs of a Christian Minister with Cephas Crosslet. Hey, look, it was great talking and ranting and going off of a rabbit trail. 
I hope you have a wonderful rest of whatever you're doing. And I'll talk to you all later. All right. Later. You have been listening to Manifest Christianity with Cephas Crosslet.